The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everyone. Welcome on to a Copenhagen edition of Dunked on Prime. Nine hours difference between Danny and me. Uh, hopefully, that's uh, that's going to work. It has before. We, we've uh, I think that's the greatest ever time difference uh, that we've experienced before. So, uh, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Uh, it's been uh, quite the whirlwind traveling with uh, a 15 month old, but mm-hmm. uh, we're uh, we're getting it done. Uh, getting some great meals in uh, in Copenhagen so far, and uh, had a great time in Chicago before that but uh you know uh, as as difficult as it was to wrench myself uh, away from watching film of summer league prospects to go eat at uh, awesome restaurants uh now i'm back at it and i think we're going to just continue in the same format this year going through just the order of the draft of course we'll get to all 30 teams eventually but since we started at the top of the draft we are now at number 12 uh, yes the because n- overall yes yeah number 11 just as a note jet howard we talked about in the orlando section so it would be him but we already discussed him so we moved to the 12th pick and remember dallas moved down from 10 to 12 with the at the cost of offloading davis Berton's contract and not only is that you know that that seems like a pretty small price but it's also the difference between case and wallace and either jet howard or Derek lively it seems like the mavs wandered him anyway Listed at 7-1, center out at Duke. Uh, this will be his age 19 season. And Lively, uh, reasonably productive, you know, in terms of the basic counting stats during his time in summer league. Five games, uh, a little bit over eight points, a little bit over eight rebounds. Uh, so that's low usage, but, you know, relatively high efficiency. And I, the thing I wanted to start with with Lively is just the calling card for him, from what I understand, both from John's excellent writing and other people, is his defense. Summer League is a terrible time to evaluate most parts of big man defense. Why do you say that? Because the like the rest of the ecosystem is so bizarre. Like there's a lot of transition play. There isn't, you know, the leading communication, like which is such a big part of what bigs do in the league. Like these are all guys you've never played with or anything like that. Um, but you do get to see guys' instincts and reactions. Those are the things that are good that you can see. And those, like, I, I still I don't think that Lively, like he was, he, I had, my expectations were high. So I don't know if he met my high expectations, though he still has a lot of potential. Like we saw that in him. Yeah. A lot of this uh, goes back to the type of player that he is. And I think we, we can start there and uh, the measurables for uh, this type of, of center, you know, rim running, shot blocking center. And you know, Tyson Chandler has been uh, in the news. He, he this is, uh, recently talking about lively and lively uh is 
in theory, the heir apparent uh, to his legacy, which actually I believe only encompassed two full seasons in the end. He left uh, Dallas in free agency twice uh, for lucrative contracts uh, after two of their more uh, successful seasons, including the championship season. But Lively has a, a massive wingspan. I believe it's 7-7 is what it's listed as and a massive standing reach as well. So uh, there are kind of two schools of thought uh, on Lively. Uh, and one is, well, yeah, he's just got these incredible measurables as a, a dunker around the rim, offensive rebounder on one end, and then, of course, uh, blocking shots on the other end. So there's that conventional aspect uh, that you know is the foundation of what he's supposed to be doing. But then there's also this feeling that, yeah, maybe he might actually be able to shoot the ball a little bit. He did that at some uh, at the lower levels offensively, that he showed some nascent passing ability, a lot of it just pass outs on offensive rebounds, uh, but something that he could do a little bit more there. And then defensively, that he might have more mobility, that he might be able to switch. So let's start with kind of the nuts and bolts of just you know do you see this guy based on, on what took place here uh again as you noted a little early to tell but do you see him as one of these guys who has the ability to be you know one of the game's best rim protectors rim protecting i think is is definitely more of a possibility than switch defending for me i thought that you know you do see his wingspan and when lively was in position i thought he did a nice job kind of snuffing out possessions so that part of rim protection is there the so i think that part was good and i'll I'll talk about the switch part after i'll let you discuss that yeah only three block shots in lively's five games which uh, now he blocked a ton of shots at duke so i i think like you said when he's there and and you know a couple of the blocks that he did have were just he can get up really high the one of the blocks that he had he's beaten tries to run the guy down from behind the guy floats it way up and lively takes two steps jumps off of one foot and still manages to reject the shot and one thing that at least was somewhat encouraging he played 23 minutes a game 3.4 fouls that's a fair amount but still fewer than you might have expected for how much he fouled when he was at duke but still you want to see a little bit more from a, a shot blocking perspective uh, for him. Uh, so, but I think he has enough of a track record that you can be a believer in that, even though, but, you know, based on what took place here, you, you're you just on this film in these five games, you didn't see domination uh, as a rim protector. Yeah. Just as a note there, considering we were talking about it, Lively only played one year at Duke but he blocked 2.4 shots per game. And if you want the like block percentage, 12.7. That was significantly higher than the 2.6 block percentage on twos he had in Summer League. Yeah, so how about uh, his mobility defensively then? I thought Lively's feet seemed a little slow. Um, not horrendously. This isn't, you know, like Boban out there or something like that. But on on pick and pops, on plays where he had to be all the way out on the floor and then get all the way to the basket, especially if it was a smaller guard, like th- those I thought he had some had some struggles with. And though you, the NBA caliber of athletes overall is significantly higher than you see in college, even if you went to a very high profile college. And so... I think that Lively can work on it, but early returns, I think he's more of a drop big than a do whatever scheme big. Yeah, I was hoping again based on what the reputation is. Like, I don't know that I don't think that he's like so immobile that it's going to be fatal to him being a solid rim protector. And considering 
playing with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, although, you know, again, Kyrie's uh, a lot older than Lively is. And you know, that, that's something we'll talk about, too, with, with Omax Prosper, is like how soon these guys can help, which uh, is going to be important. Yeah, I, I don't think watching him, I'm like, okay, this guy profiles as a switch big, right? He's not looking the way like a young Clint Capella would have looked. Uh, perhaps like I think he does cover a lot of ground and he can get going pretty quick in one direction but the change of direction is not great and while his steps are big and cover a lot of ground he doesn't necessarily have a lot of them like they're not he doesn't have those short choppy steps that you would like to see and you know there are bigs who can contain uh but I didn't think he was like a, amazing like kind of using the angles uh and that he could get blown by at times but he also can bother guys from behind that's that's a tough way to live though you can pick up some fouls that way particularly against NBA guards so you know I, I thought there this was a summer league defensively in which he showed some of his tools to be sure but this wasn't at least again on film in these five games is not fatal to him eventually becoming that player but i thought very clearly at a minimum he's got a long way to go uh and that's to be expected for a a 19 year old center offensively what'd you make there my note is nothing too thrilling or disconcerting in his offensive film um you know i great catch radius um, I wish his activity level were a little higher, but lively, you know, he, if the idea is that a lot of the Lucas centers don't have to do a lot out there, if you set a, set a decent screen, which lively, like every young big has trouble with that. And then, yeah, become that, that was something, a, a criticism going back to Duke as well, that he just was not making enough contact. Exactly. So make good contact with the screen, make yourself available, catch it. That's part of why we all thought JaVale McGee would be a good fit offensively with the Mavs and just didn't quite work last year. So Lively, I think he has that game and he only took three three-pointers in summer league. So I, I don't think we, I, at least I didn't see enough from his jump shot to be like, oh, he's he's going to eventually have that. I mean, we'll just have to see with more film, whether it's, you know, G League, NBA, whatever. Yeah, he took one that was pretty aggressive, but in the end only took 25 field goal attempts in mm-hmm. five games. And you know, he's playing with Jaden Hardy, and we'll talk about him in a second, and, and some other you know, less heralded guards. Uh, I thought the best part of his offensive game was the offensive rebounding. Yes. He averaged over th- over three per game in, in that 23 minutes per game or so. And I did think his activity level there was hardy, the, uh, or uh, that he played hard, rather. When the ball's in the air, he's swimming, he's trying to get around guys, and he got fouled a lot. Uh, I, I thought he then just as a finisher, you know, he does try to dunk a lot. And, and that was a, a big part of how he got the 15 free throw attempts, uh, which is not a massive number. And he only made eight of those. Uh, but uh, again, small sample and all there. But it, you'd like to see him make more of those free throws if he's got this shooting potential. I mean, again, I think that's a, a way down the road type of thing. And yeah, as a dunker, he can get up for, I think, you know, he's not an unbelievable leaper, but he's okay there. But then when you consider the standing reach and one criticism of him coming out of Duke was that he shot very poorly on non-dunks around the room. Uh, again, he's not a natural. Like, it's not pretty for him, but I did think his touch maybe looked a little bit improved from his Duke days. Again, noting that we're, you know, he was 17 to 25 from the field. That's uh, pretty darn good. Uh, anything else on him? No, I think that's all with Lively. Um, do you want to go to Prosper or Hardy? Yeah, let, let's talk about uh, Olivia Marsans Prosper. Uh, out good job. Of, oh, thanks. Yeah, well, it's a lot better than my Danish. approaches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a tough language. Uh, but yeah, I think that... 
oh, wait. seeing him in person. Quick, yeah, quickly, physical profile: uh, six foot eight yes, forward yes. with a seven one wingspan, out of Marquette and originally Montreal. And this will be Prospera's age twenty one season. Yeah, so played three seasons uh, in college, but still uh, relatively young uh, for that fact. Uh, and seeing him in person and uh, being, I was down at floor level for uh, a half uh, watching him. Like he's a big guy. He is uh, looks like the part physically of you know really almost a combo forward type of size he has that 7-1 wingspan you see it out there uh, and certainly the idea of him was all right this is a 3 and D type of guy it was somewhat surprising perhaps that the Sacramento Kings traded that pick uh, to the Dallas Mavericks when they also in theory are are in need of that 3 and D type of player uh, of course Dallas is like well this still can be our new Dorian Finney-Smith you know, he's got more size uh, than Finney-Smith does uh but uh, and I think uh, certainly in terms of the jump shot, he's ahead of where Finney Smith was uh, at this point, drafted higher, uh, of course. Uh, but I think in terms of the physical profile, not really a great leaper. Uh, you know, I, I would say pretty average. But when you consider his size, he's able to have an effect, uh, particularly offensively attacking the rim. But he's not a great leaper, uh, not a great finisher there. Um, and then you know, I think his, moving his feet was okay. You know, it wasn't something defensively that blew me out of the water with his activity level. And, and quite frankly, even though he was considered kind of a late riser, with this physical profile, you would think, okay, like if he were more athletic, he just he just goes way higher, right? I mean, there's OG Ananobi, similar physical profile, but a, a better athlete, a little bit even stronger than Max and Prosper. Although I think uh, Omax is going to be going to get plenty strong. You know, I think he'll be able to hold up size wise at the four. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think he's. I'm not going to say I was hoping for because again, this guy went 24. He didn't go in the top 10 uh, athletically, but I didn't necessarily see a guy that I would say, all right, he's gonna he's gonna be able to guard once. He's gonna get over screens that type of quick feet whether he could guard threes and fours who are like good on ball guys you know that's that's a possibility to me i'm not i i didn't see it like you know elite foot movement but i i think especially with his size that it may be possible possible i think is is a fair way to put it and the, the place where i noticed prospera's athleticism most at times he popped a little bit on grab and goes like he just he, that was where he's like oh i have the ball in my hands i can push a little bit there he had a couple of those good possessions over the five games and his decision making in transition isn't always the best there was one point that stuck with me where a quick pass would have been a wide open bucket but instead he held the ball and turned it over himself but you know young youngish guy that that's gonna happen i'm not particularly concerned about that something i liked about prospero not about his feet is that he got offensive rebounds and it wasn't as you kind of mentioned him having this athletic juice and just getting over i think he had like yeah. six yeah. offensive he rebounds just plays hard o- hard yeah. overall and, plays, and with his hard. size that's that's uh, you know definitely a big selling point that is a big selling point so you're playing hard however the other with all of these guys one of the other swing skills is their three-point shooting and prosper in his three years of college, um, he shot 32% on threes, 75% from the line overall. Um, but in summer league, it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't a sea change. It was 4 of 17, which is 24%, 44% from the field. So in order to be a high-level player, you brought Dorian Finney-Smith. I think his shot is further along than some of those guys. But the idea of like, oh, he's going to nail it. It's going to take a lot of development. It's not impossible, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, and that four out of 17 
uh, from three. I, you know, he, he was pretty aggressive shooting. It didn't look mm-hmm. like a, a guy. You know, at least he got up the 17. That's that's not you know a great number in 25 minutes per game. Uh, he's not necessarily creating a ton of these by himself. But that's what they need for him is to spot up. He did show more ball skills yes. than expected. And I thought he was able to be solid in transition. He's got a left to right crossover and in and out move. Now, he doesn't really have the quickness to blow by guys with some of those moves. But occasionally you'd fake the guy out, get it in the lane. And just his overall level of aggression to shoot 28 free throw attempts in five games in you know still under 30 minutes per game, I thought was pretty good. And he did shoot 82% from the foul line. So just the playing hard, the size, I think those things are going to be there. And given how big he is, you'd think at least that's going to make you a rotation player. Of course, the shooting, how quickly he can move his feet. Again, not just like a bouncy athlete, not really a quick twitch guy. Had four steals and one block in five games. So, you know, as his... Ability is a help defender, not quite there. You know, I talked to one personnel guy who's kind of in the range of Moxon Prosper with his team, and I was like, "Oh, you know, he looks pretty decent out there. Like, you know, this is the type of player that everyone needs." And he's like, "Well, you know, we honestly weren't sold on his defense that he is necessarily that kind of guy." So, and and I can understand where that scout was coming from based on this, but I also think he has a chance. But he may just be, as you like to say, more of a cog in the machine than like the guy on the perimeter and uh, of course then uh, that puts more pressure on his offense to succeed but at 24 this is a guy who uh, i think has a chance at that position that's all you can ask for it it really is and i mean the beauty of wing-sized guys or forward-sized guys is that you need them in your rotation whether they're playing 30 minutes a game or 18 they're just the positional scarcity and so you'd love for i mean the dream is for prosper to be a starter if not an above average starter but even if he ends up being a rotation piece then that that's still useful for them the last maverick worth significant discussion is Jaden hardy the 37th pick last year of course played for g league night before that extremely productive uh 23 points 5.4 rebounds, 2.7 assists. He was the leading scorer of players who played more than two summer league games. I'll bring up the leading scorer who played more than that a little bit later. Um, and Hardy didn't do that through brutal efficiency. He was 42% true shooting well, on... Well, well brutal, brutal uh, you know, d- depends on your perspective. Yes, I, I guess I that's true. Uh, 42% true shooting on 30 usage. It was that Jaden Hardy played in three games and had 30 three free throw attempts yeah and that's the biggest thing that stands out uh, for him particularly at this level and uh, we talked about how summer league has long been kind of a scoring guards paradise and even though hardy wasn't hitting his shots uh, particularly well uh, in this setting he's got that handle that is probably close to point guard level if not having point guard level of vision necessarily but he's just really strong he's got a a big body uh, and i think he's definitely has gotten stronger he's got a confidence about his ability to get to spots and then he attacks the rim really hard and he's able to draw free throws now did he get some of his forays to the basket rejected by the likes of uh chet holmgren you know i mean he's going in, he's going in there regardless of who it is and he's not elite as an athlete uh but he really has solid size for the shooting guard position and when you consider his handle and you know, some passing ability some mid-range scoring ability some ability to get to the basket get fouled that's pretty interesting the other thing that I thought was somewhat intriguing was he actually took more spot ups than you might have expected, and even some like pretty difficult attempts, like coming off a baseline out of bounds on the move in the corner. 
And you know, eventually you wonder, like, hey, could this guy, like, now on this team, maybe it's a little bit different because they have Luke and Kyrie and he just fits into that bench role. But, like, could this guy actually just, like, start for you at shooting guard and be, like, your number two guy off the dribble in the starting lineup? Like, ah, you know, maybe that's possible, right? Like, he still has to get better as a shooter there and you know, still better as a defender. Although I think when you consider how strong he is and, and his length and you know, reasonably quick feet, like, there's no reason physically, at least, that he can't get to that point of eventually so well, and, and yeah the jump yeah go ahead well so what i want to mention about hardy's jump shot i think this is just so fascinating is that i, I noted by a couple of times in my notes like oh man he is a really confident shooter right now and i looked at it last year so hardy shooting had been a well a well regarded problem for him like in the g league for example that last year of the ignite he made 27 percent of his threes at high volume and then was also 40 percent on twos last year for the mavs 40 percent on 156 three-point attempts. And for the Texas Legends, 49% on 96. So again, overall, that's still not a huge sample size. But I hadn't realized, I guess, because he split his time and because his role shifted so dramatically between the G League and the and the Mavericks during the time he split, that he might have a reason to be more confident in it than I had fully, fully put together. Yeah, and last year we were down on his summer league. He just took so many jumpers off the drill. They didn't really go in and this year again he, he took almost 10 three-point attempts per game only only made seven of them but as you noted he got to the foul line much or much more this year than he did last year he played five mm-hmm. games last year 23 free throws this year three games 33 free throws uh and he, he had eight assists in three games which given the number of times he was shooting probably wanted him to find guys a little bit more particularly because you have this young big uh, in lively rolling to the rim and uh, hopefully some guys that they can set up at the arc as well like Omax Prosser. So this statistically was not a great summer league. We saw enough of him at the NBA level that that's really more what you should be focused on. But I thought just some little intriguing things like the getting to the foul line, the way he was shooting the ball off the catch uh, that can allow him maybe to play some uh, off the ball more than we've seen so far. And they're really counting on him as their third guard and second creator in a lot of these lineups. Like the chances of him starting seem pretty low, but, uh, and they did bring in Seth Curry, but he's not a guy who can play a lot of minutes and he can be taken advantage of defensively. So I think they're kind of giving him that third ball handler role on the team. And most of the lineups he's in, he's going to be the second ball handler. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure whether he's able to be, you know, produce at that level in this age 21 season, particularly when you consider that his passing hasn't really been amazing yet but still like given his size and dribbling ability and strength you you think that maybe he can grow into that role in time maybe if not at an elite level this season that's fair. Uh, the two other notes that I had both relate to Hardy as a creator. One is my frustration. I think this is more with the the Mavericks than Hardy himself is that they didn't really even try him that much as a distributor, like running pick and roll. And even if that's not his expected primary role on the Mavs this year, it's still good to get those reps. And, you know, you, you, you get him at a relatively low pressure environment. And then the other one, and this is a Hardy criticism, is that I didn't think he, you know, he he came in a lot of times like on a drive, for example, with a plan and he wouldn't deviate from that plan based on circumstances. So like, oh, the biggest standing here, I should pass off, I should kick out. It was more, I start my action, this is what I intend to do with it, I'm going to do it. And that 
flexibility, that interplay that you can do, like that's what separates out like the really exciting guards, whether it's, you know, and, and a lot of those guys are like really, really good. You know, they're, that's more like the Jaws and the Halliburtons. But if Hardy can show a little bit more of that like nascent reaction ability, I think it would make a huge difference. Yeah, he was 6-14 to 14 at the rim in this setting, but of course uh, you throw in the free throw attempts that he drew, uh, sure. most of them on just like hard rim attacks, uh, and it, 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 attacking the basket was efficient for him at this level. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us Let's move to Toronto and the number 13 overall selection, Grady Dick. Yes, Grady Dick, a player that we scouted, so I don't need to go through all the physicals as aggressively because we've already done all that. And my, my first note with Grady Dick is that if we hadn't scouted him before the draft, I probably would have felt worse about his summer league because the numbers weren't great. Yeah. But I was thankful that we had more context and data because the things that I saw largely lined up even if the numbers didn't. Yeah, it was only 30% from three, uh, but he got up seven a game in 28 minutes. And, and that's maybe there's a feeling that he's not necessarily all a three-pointer, right? Like maybe he wants to kind of work more inside the arc for floaters or cuts or like that he's going to come off the screen and take a dribble inside the arc and shoot it. I thought he was just very aggressive from three, including more off the dribble from three than we saw. Like he stroked one where he... Uh, got a screen at the arc, uh, stepped into it going right, uh, which was kind of tough, especially the way he shoots the ball. And it looks like he sped up his release a, a little bit off the dribble. Uh, you know, And then he did some all the other stuff that we came to expect from him in the scouting, working off the ball, got a few rebounds uh, on both ends. Uh, he was active defensively. We didn't really get a chance to see a ton of him defending like an isolation. He's probably going to get called up, particularly on that Raptors team where they have a lot of athletes uh, around him necessarily but i thought uh, other than the ball going in at an elite level which again he shot 40 percent at kansas it's just tough to know you know unless the guys like steph curry coming out of school with just that insane level of volume is a guy gonna be a 40 percent, 41 percent guy or is he gonna be a 37 percent guy on this tough tie to shots we'll talk about that with uh, jordan hawkins uh, momentarily here as well uh and yeah so dick he's not just like an absolute dead sprint guy necessarily but I just enjoy his field. Managed to get 15 shots at the rim in his four games. That's not bad for this player type. And uh, ironically, it was just his catch and shoots where he just couldn't make anything. It was four out of 22 on those. So, uh, and it didn't shoot it well coming off of screens necessarily either. He was three for 11. Uh, but yeah, I just liked his level of aggression. And it, this is just not enough of a sample to know whether the, whether the ball is going to go in or not at this point in time. So I try not to go crazy either way on those for these shooter types but I, I thought you know he didn't look like overwhelmed athletically at this level he was able to get his shot off you know there are a couple of times where he he was almost so aggressive that he got it blocked but that's I don't mind that actually like you know there's one play right at the start of the game against Detroit where Asar Thompson stayed with him and actually blocked his free throw line jumper but I wanted these guys firing away in the smallest possible windows and being this sort of a threat that really is a five, five alarm fire for the defense and yeah, again, we'll see whether he's able to contribute in his first year. The answer to that is probably not that they are uh, quite desperate for shooting. They are. 
on this team, but I'm hopeful that he's going to be a guy that you can run some off-ball actions for. Three things that largely aligned with Grady Dick's film that we watched previously. Um, runs the floor hard, and I thought that you know, that can produce some good transition opportunities. Um, there was one where he got a layup out of that hustle. He did miss it, but whatever. Um, and then, as you brought up, the opportunistic playbacks, that was something we putbacks. That was something we saw at Kansas. And then the one that's a negative is, it's, it seemed like whenever Grady Dick was trying to finish a shot around the basket and someone was just nearby, it didn't go in. But if it was, if he got there kind of through hustle, through a good cut, it was working out. And that's, you know, some of that is the, he has good size, but he doesn't have like that, that pop athletically. And I think he'll develop better craft in some of those circumstances and maybe even craft and grift in those spots. Yeah, the, the play that stuck out to me the most, other than that three-pointer going to his right where he rose up and drained it off the dribble, was he gets a back door, catches the ball with his right hand, never even puts his left hand on it. He's going right to left along the baseline and just like chucks it up over his right shoulder for a reverse with the, the defense closing in. And he did actually miss that, but it was just like a kind of cheeky finish that I, I like to see from guys who aren't great athletes uh, and again just as a way to be a threat off the ball uh, we'll see whether he's able to deliver but he's a guy who's the aesthetics of his game uh, I enjoy and I like how hard he plays uh, and the intelligence uh, to his offensive game at, at this point and you know again we'll uh, we'll see whether the ball goes in for him or not but I, I think that there are some good building blocks here I want to take a beat to discuss uh, Javon Freeman Liberty and you be like well he played on the summer league bulls team why are you talking about him in the Raptors section I will explain why in just a second um Freeman Liberty uh Chicago guy kind of through and through, which makes what happened after a little bit funnier. Um, went to Whitney Young High School, went to DePaul, six foot four guard who turns 24 in October and signed a, and so he was the leading summer league scorer who played in four more games, 21 points, 4.6 rebounds per game in 30 minutes per game. Yeah. And although at these days, uh, the fact that you play in more than three summer league games just probably means that you suck. It, it, not, not it, that he does. It, that, it that's often a joke, does. But, it, yeah, but but clearly, all all the best guys are going to play. Like sure, three or I mean, yeah, Ke- Keegan Murray uh, and unless, all those guys we'll discuss right. later. Later, uh, in, unless in they're playing in the two, unless they're playing in both summer leagues. That would be Correct, and, and, especially if they're like one, if they're hosting one of them, because you see those guys play a lot sometimes. Um, and and for how Freeman Liberty did it, um, he did a lot of foul drawing. Um, I, I described it as both legit foul drawing and grift foul drawing. Uh, Freeman Liberty has the head whip, uh, like whipping your head back locked in. Like he did that on like a late bump at one point. But hey, if you can get to the free throw line out of it. Yeah. He so, averaged- someday one of these one of these grift guys is going to file like a worker's comp uh, against the, <laughs> their team just for like some, <laughs> some sort of whiplash neck injury, yeah. like just just to yeah. really complete the grift. And so I got really interested, though. And so Freeman Liberty, 6.2 free throw attempts per game. Um, and then the other big thing that he did was he drilled the three-pointer. Uh, took over five per game and made 46%. And I'm like, well, is that something that he did at Valpo, at DePaul? He went to both of those for college. And the answer is mostly no, but it's kind of interesting. So he was below 30% each of his first three college seasons. But then Freeman Liberty hit 37 on five and a half per game as a senior at DePaul. And then last year he was on the Windy City Bulls and he averaged 30, he shot 39% on about five per game. So we're building up a sample size of Freeman Liberty being able to shoot. He was, of course, a very productive scorer. I didn't see like enough on ball pop to think, oh, this guy's like a starter in waiting. 
But we they have teams have three two ways now, and it sounds like Freeman Liberty thought there was a greater opportunity in Toronto than his longtime hometown of Chicago. So I don't think it's going to like haunt the Bulls, but I do think he can play. Yeah, and the Bulls have a very crowded backcourt. Ayo uh, DeSumo actually just resigned. We'll probably talk about his contract in a future episode, uh, going for three years, twenty-one million. We don't know the exact details on that one yet in terms of guarantees and whatnot. But yeah, this is the second time in recent years that the Raptors have done this. Recall Terrence Davis actually played for the Nuggets summer yes. team after uh, he went undrafted, and the Raptors aggressively scooped him up. Uh, did the same uh, with Freeman Liberty. Anyone else on the Raptors you want to discuss, or do you want to move on? No, Christian Coloco uh, did not play uh, due to a, a respiratory issue. Uh, Jordan Hawkins was the number 14 overall pick, national champion out of UConn. And another guy, it was interesting to see Jet Howard, Jordan Hawkins, Grady Dick all go uh, within a four-pick range, and Lively was the, the one in between them. Uh, so those three movement shooters the magic could have had their pick of any of them they went with the guy that i think most people rated the lowest but what did you make uh, of hawkins here in summer league with the pels hawkins uh six foot six guard with a six seven wingspan so not a huge huge positive like not a, a plus one wingspan isn't isn't great at the nba level uh, i actually did a partial scout on him that we never aired i like just, i just i just watched some film of him in like my early stages and i thought that what was intriguing about Hawkins was that he had a little bit more dynamism on ball than I expected. And I'm like, I have this in the back of my mind. And then the, the New Orleans Pelicans Summer League team is like, oh, you were interested in that? Let's give him the ball all the time. And I, I thought that that stuff wasn't, I, it was more self-created than I expected. But I And I thought not all of that was great. But I thought the mechanics, like Jordan Hawkins' jumper, I think looks looks very good. He can shoot it on the move. He had a couple of really nice jumpers up uh, on the move. And even though Hawkins only shot 9 of 36 on threes, which is 25%, I still think that his shot looks good. Yeah, he did shoot poorly from the foul line, but he was 87% in his two years in college. So that definitely you see the building blocks there. And what struck me the most about him is just how often he's on a dead sprint yes. in a half-court situation. And whether he's flying off screens, turning the corner, getting to his right hand where he can finish, he's a little bit better, I think, than typical of this player type uh, as an athlete uh, getting to the basket. He certainly is thin uh, and... I think that'll be mostly a, a problem defensively for him. But you saw that the foundation of his game, Connecticut ran just all sorts of intricate actions for him and the Pels continued to do that as well. And that's the sort of threat that the Pels haven't had since the departure of J.J. Redick. And, and I think teams like the Pels, the Raps, the Magic, and unsurprising that these movement shooter types went in this range to those teams because they could really use just another guy that you can run some sort of an action for. And Hawkins, I, I think he could be that. The ball, again, the ball's going to have to go in for him. And, you know, he wasn't 40% for three even in college. He was 39% this last year. And he did step up in terms of his minutes as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the movement shooting is very comfortable taking even, you know, four feet behind the NBA line, which was impressive as well. You know, you can pull off the drill a little bit. He's comfortable going either direction. Looked a little more comfortable, actually, I would say, going to his right uh, at, on off of movement. Uh, but it still can go either way as well. And, and you know, he can still cut well enough and has enough bounce to finish the rim. Like, I thought one play that stood out was 
usually you would expect one of these guys just going to pull the trigger on a shot like this, but a, a guy was flying at him. He blows by that guy. Then Euro steps around the big, got a finish there. So that's another thing to be able to punish closeouts in multiple ways. It, we saw that from him. So I think it, I sometimes you'll see guys and they're not quite what is advertised. And yeah, the ball didn't go in for him at 25% from three. Once more, not going to freak out uh, about that given his track record and just the type of shots that he's taking, quite frankly. Uh, and so I, I thought other than just the, that three-point shooting percentage, I, I saw what was advertised from him. Agreed. I, I thought that the, the the overall toolbox was about what we expected, and Hawkins, his place within the Pelicans is going to be very much in flux. I mean, you think about some of the stuff they can do with Zion playing alongside Trey Murphy and Hawkins could be really exciting, especially if you can put like Larry Nance at the five and some of that. Like you could do some really fun stuff. But they also, you know, they'll play some defensive lineups and and all that. But I'm I'm excited to see what Hawkins will look like with the Pelicans and a player who. Um. Here, one more stat on him, too. Uh, when he's just shooting what Synergy characterizes as a pure spot-up, so uh, not coming off a screen or a handoff, he was actually characterized, uh, on those plays, he was 6-12. Mm. Uh, but uh, And then when he was coming off a screen, that was 1 out of 11. And on the handoff game, as well, he took a lot of shots off a handoff. Some of those were, were getting to the rim. But when he really was moving, those are the ones that didn't necessarily go down. You know, I think at a minimum, he's going to make uh, the open ones, and he did that in this summer league. And just, uh, again, that number, Synergy is very loath to classify plays as quote-unquote off-screen, off the ball. So to get up a 11 of those these are not you don't typically see this now he's a little bit older too worth remembering he's really kind of more the age of a junior yeah uh, even though he played two years in college age, age, age 21 rookie season right that's a good that's a good point to add and that age 21 rookie season that is older than dyson daniels the eighth pick last year who unfortunately sprained his ankle in his ninth summer league minute last year. So this was Daniel's opportunity to explore the studio space and explore it. He did um, about 14 and a half points, six and a half assists, seven rebounds in his five games. Oh, I should also add in he had almost two steals a game. And Daniels certainly seemed empowered to have the ball in his hands, to take a lot of shots, to make a lot of decisions. And I thought that the returns there, I mean, that's what you want to do. And so there were times where he was taking selfish shots, but I think they were okay with that. That's kind of what they were looking for for Daniels. And I, you know, it seemed like versions of what we have seen before for him offensively, where Dyson Daniels, his straight line driving, I think is is pretty good, but he doesn't have a ton of shake. And so if he can get downhill, if he, you know, set a good screen, get him down there, he can do that. But he also can get a little bit of tunnel vision. And then the jump shot's still a massive work in progress for Fred Vincent and this coaching staff. Yeah, really a mixed bag for him. Starting with the jump shot, I've always felt like his form looked fine. I, I had the same but, note. I had the same note. I wrote his conscious shoot looks pretty stable. Yeah, but and he doesn't have, you know, he's, his hands look pretty good. Like his elbows not like flying out to the side or anything like that. Uh, but the results, of course, were not there two out of 20. And then going back to the NBA season as well, just really, despite the fact that he played a reasonable amount, he only took 86 three-point attempts in 59 games. And he was playing 18 minutes a game. It wasn't like he, he wasn't out. Uh, out there at all for any minutes and you know really didn't get to the foul line at all 
at the NBA level, only 40 free throw attempts for the entire season. That's something that he was able to improve, uh, but the shooting percentage still hovering in the mid-60s as it did uh, during the NBA season. But for him to get six free throw attempts a game, I thought was good. Uh, I liked his level of aggression attacking the rim. He did at a couple of plays where he really tried to pack it on guys. Now he's more of a two-foot leaper and one foot, it was his finishing was more of a mixed bag. Like he operated mostly as the point guard when he was in there and I thought he looked stronger. He just generally looked more confident running the team. Like he just watching him on a possession to possession basis, he looked like a pro point guard out there. And this is, as you mentioned, was a chance for him to kind of explore things. Like I, I agree with you. I don't think that he has the shake to really get shots off one-on-one, but if he's getting a screen and he's going to be matched to, if he ever is going to be an on-ball guy on this team with guys who are good enough screeners and, you know, threats on themselves, Zion Williamson being one of those where you're probably not going to see a lot of switching. And I think he showed some creativity as a pick and roll passer. You know, he's at uh, 6.4 assists per game. Uh, so that's in a uh, low assist environment, shall we say, <laughs> in summer league. Uh, that's actually useful. He was solid on the boards with seven rebounds uh, per game. So like he's, and then defensively, not the place for him to show a ton, but I never really had any doubts that he's a, a good defender. Is he going to be elite guarding threes? Maybe not, but I think as, you know, a one through 2.5 at minimum, and maybe even higher than that, uh, that he's be very solid. And, and he also makes plays in the passing lanes as well. And he didn't turn it over uh, an insane amount. So I thought, you know, his body looks better. And he showed good bounce off of two feet. He was running the team. He's making passes. But you also just like, man, all right, if this guy can't really shoot, and then, you know, is he that dynamic on ball that you're really giving it to him? Like, is he going to be, he's just going to play the one? Then what does that look like? I think now if he could make shots, I actually would really like him in that role because of his defense and his passing. And, you know, he doesn't, he could kind of be, you know, sort of a Lonzo ball type. But again, like the ball just has to go in for him for the perimeter. And uh, I at least appreciated that he took more shots than he had during the regular year. But we saw just kind of a almost an increase in all of the strengths and a, not really much of an increase in the weaknesses. And so what that player ultimately is going to be and how that fits with others, particularly on this Pelicans team, that's really more where the question comes in. Like, I think there are a lot of things that he does well. It's just how you fit that into the team ecosystem. It goes back to this idea that I've brought up ad nauseum um, of, of it, the thresholds for a guard who can't who can't shoot are just so high. Like you need to be able to do a lot of things. And I think XM shot or not XM, sorry, apologies. Daniel shot is different. Australian guard um, is not totally broken, but it does need to go in at some point. And, and it's going to define, I mean, Daniel's is only 20, but like where, where he fits in on, on a good team. And so I like his game a lot. And it, it's, it's this such a weird point where it's like, okay, we know exactly what you need to do to get to be like a starter, to be above, above average, like have a role as a closer on a team this good. Now, let's see over the next two years if you can get it done. Another Pelican whose summer league uh, and uh, indeed season ended early a season ago was EJ Liddell. Uh, and so really our first chance to talk about him, he tore his ACL in last year's summer league. He was back uh, playing well uh, and really did it with dominating finishing on the interior. And he certainly is capable there. He's got some bounce at 6'6", but has about a 7-foot wingspan and 8'8 standing reach. The thought, again, was that he, you know, maybe he could be this P.J. Tucker, Draymond Green kind of guy with reasonably quick feet, strong, okay length for the power forward position. And 
you know, I'm not really sure, though, other than the interior scoring, that a lot stood out for me uh, in this summer league. I mean, he was 18 of 18 from the foul line, so maybe that that's uh, something that's going to be helpful. But it, it was, again, this is his first action in a year, so I'm not going to hold this uh, against him too much. And it was good to see him looking good, body looked good, that he, he was able to be effective at this level. But then, all right, they don't need another guy who's going to, like, you know, finish plays on the interior necessarily. Liddell also, I'm, I, again, I was so thrilled to see him on the floor and to see the Pelicans give him two fully guaranteed years. Like that's a part of a part of his contract was on a two way last year, but also they knew he wasn't going to play. It was the, the flaws of the system where he couldn't he didn't sign his contract under the previous CBA and then got hurt. And it's just like, well, shit, what are we going to do with this? And like you, I, I wonder what his like calling card is going to be specifically on it, like a, a, a team with this many talented players. But you give him a year or two, you know, this is going to be Liddell's age 23 season. You see where things work out. And I, I, I hope the best. But like you, I didn't see a lot to be like, ooh, tantalizing. Yeah, he took only th- six three-point attempts, uh, made one, and, and you would hope that he's going to be better uh, shooting it from the perimeter to f- fit in with some of these other bigs and there's a thought that he could switch i think his feet actually look okay but i didn't think he was particularly effective with his hands contesting on the ball and then also didn't provide a ton as a help defender either so i think maybe he's uh, again like you like to talk about kind of a cog in the machine all right if he's gonna switch maybe he's not gonna just get completely destroyed but you know i don't know that he has the tools to be like an impact defender either yeah it seems fair to me The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. All right, let's get now to the Atlanta Hawks. And at the time I was making the list for all the guys we had to do, I was like, oh, uh, Ty Ty Washington is on this team and Usman Garuba is on this team and Terry Smart is on this team. Terry Smart got waived. Garuba and Ty Ty Washington are now on the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
and we thought maybe Jalen Johnson would play. That didn't happen either. So ended up uh, with uh, the main feature being number 15 overall pick Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. For sure. One of the more highly regarded prospects that we did not scout. Bufkin, a 6'6 guard with a 6'8 wingspan out of Michigan. This will be his age 20 season. He played two years as a Wolverine. And with Bufkin, I I thought that it was funny. I watched the film on him right after I watched Jaden Hardy. And something that I criticized Hardy for recently, but uh, I'll praise Bufkin for, is that he would pass out of something if he kind of wasn't working right, which is a good sign in terms of judgment. But what concerned me, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, was I didn't think Kobe Bufkin was creating as many advantages as I hoped for somebody that I hadn't seen but other people like. Yeah, you know, the context here is important in a number of ways. And one was that he played a lot of point guard. And the game that mm-hmm. I saw live against Sacramento, Jordan Ford is is a good veteran G League point guard. And he was really able to kind of take him off of his spots defensively. And it really caused problems for Bufkin. And, but they also played with like a pretty spaced floor. They had uh, Muhammad Gay, who we'll talk about a little bit, who was uh, a center in college, uh, or at least listed as a center in college, but is now more of a power forward they had uh brady manic who is uh, played at north carolina and uh has great hair and beard but also is, is mostly like a stretch five type of guy so they had decent spacing on this team and yeah overall you know i did especially watching that game live i was kind of like man like what exactly is the theory of this guy i felt a little bit better after watching the tape uh but yeah you said he wasn't creating that many advantages um you want to elaborate on that Sure. I thought that he um, wasn't, you know, like the handle wasn't too dynamic, too shifty. Like, and some of the straight line, straight line stuff was was pretty good. And and I will say that Bufkin, he did over five games get to the line twenty one times, which is, you know, that's that's solid. Like that's better than one. But like, there weren't many times where it's like he's starting at the top of the key, whether he gets a good screen or a bad screen, and is you know within six feet at the basket. And and that's something I really like to see. And so that that wasn't quite there, but there were things that I liked about Bufkin's film. One of them is he had a couple of good bounce passes to Rollman, which is not always the easiest thing to execute, particularly for a, you know, a, a younger guard, even if it's going to be his age 20 season. It, so those things were good, not as much to the opposite side, though there was definitely some. What is the theory of him, do you think? Because that's kind of why I threw that context out there where he's yeah. playing point guard. That wasn't what he did in college. Like, what, what if he hits, what does that look like to you? I think the people who are bigger believers on Bufkin think that he can, that his jump shot is good enough that he can play on or off the ball. He shot about 35% on both pull-ups and catch-and-shoots his sophomore year at Michigan, though that was 22% overall on threes in a much very small sample size coming off the bench his freshman year. So has has positional size to theoretically, you know, like it's not like he's a six foot one guy and if he's not playing on if he's not playing on ball, then what are you gonna do with him? Like six, 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 eight wingspan. You can do that. And I'm presuming that the idea is that either he can be a primary or a secondary playmaker. So the idea being that if you if you have that, you know, Damian Lillard or Trey Young type of guy, that you could play him next to that player. But he can also pick up pick up the slack and be a, you know, be a creator on a second unit. I think that's the theory there. Yeah, and at Michigan he didn't operate as much up top and pick and roll, which is what he did 
for Atlanta. And uh, I thought there are times when you know, he's not an elite athlete, but there are times when changing speeds or with a, a quick burst, you know, I thought he was able to get by guys going to that left hand. Uh, as a passer, he needs to get better as his right to left passing, get better at passing with his right hand if he's going to be someone that you're going to give the ball to a fair amount. You know, the jumper did not go in for him. Uh, on all jump shots, he is 13 of 44, three out of 16 on catch and shoots. You know, and the overall numbers, which I'm sure you can give us a, in a second here, were rough. And then the other thing that he was really lauded for at Michigan was he finished well at the rim. That wasn't the case. Only seven out of 20 at the rim had a few times where I think he's, in particular, as a not that athletic guy, you'll see guys like that struggle sometimes at the next level as they just, they have intelligence, they have craft, but they don't have a sense of, what's going to work and what isn't. And they just have to develop that through experience. I think you could see that process ongoing with him again, also because he was the guy with the ball. And you know, you mentioned that he, he made some good decisions to pass out, but other times you know, I thought his room reads weren't that great in just you know some kind of no hope attempts to finish at the basket. I mean, just so we have it though here, let's get what his overall stats were for the summer league. Sure. Bufkin, 14 points, three and a half assists, three rebounds, uh, 27 minutes per game. He played in five contests, uh, 33% from the field, 42% true shooting on 31 usage. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, again, the context there that he was probably overburdened. AJ Griffin, who we'll talk about briefly, uh, only played two games. He was ineffective uh, as well. Uh, yeah, Griffin, so, four, yeah, yeah. Four, briefly, four of 13 on threes, only played in two games. I didn't read too much off of that. I mean, he has a significantly larger sample as an NBA rotation player than he does as a summer league two-gamer. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit in a sec. But I, I guess for Buffkin to try to answer my own question, you know, he is – it's he's got decent length you know he's good good enough measurements for a two guard except that he's uh weighed in at the combine at a little bit under 190 pounds and so he's thin that's going to be kind of a problem he does make some plays defensively but i think he's someone that you are going to be able to go at he you could be a call up but i maybe the hawks are like well we got trey young on our team so you know if we have another defensive liability they're not <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're not going to go after him and, and i think he is probably better as an off ball than on ball guy at this point but yeah you know the jumper like not really a movement shooter like i think he'll make shots from the perimeter i just don't know if he's going to be elite there and you wonder about, as you mentioned, like what is the major advantage that he's creating? Uh, you know, he kind of, to me, just watching him and especially considering how thin he is, profiled as maybe more of kind of a bench guy, like bench score type uh, than because I, I kind of struggled, which is why I asked you the question of like, all right, if this guy is just a really like high level starting shooting guard, what does that look like? And he has, you know, he's got pretty good off the drill moves. Like he's probably a little bit ahead of your average shooting guard prospect there. Uh, you know, he's supposed to be a good finisher. He wasn't able to get that. We'll see whether in summer league, we'll see if that part develops. We'll see whether, you know, his mid range game, which he wasn't, didn't feature quite as much here, which he did some in college, whether that develops, but uh, just uh, like what his elite skill is, that's going to make him a starter, uh, whether it's as a scorer, whether it's as an off ball shooter, you know, it's probably not going to be as a defender. So, so what is going to develop? There, even if I do think he's got you know good moves, pretty good feel uh, for offensive basketball, uh, even if the numbers weren't there this time. Something to keep an eye on: Buffkin uh, averaged over two percent steal rate, two percent block rate in college, but. I'd like to see those more in the like three range where I'm talking about, oh, this guy's a big defensive playmaker. And Bufkin overall in summer league, 
he had below a steal, below a block per game. So I think he had four in five games on each of those two stats. And so and so with Buffy, and the other part you brought up the like signature skill is, to me, that's even more pressing when you're not a remarkable athlete. And I'm not saying he's like deeply below average, but if you're not like where your calling card, if you're a Sar Thompson, your calling card can be, I'm a really good athlete. And then that other thing you do can be less great. But if, and, and it's funny because I'm not comparing them as players, but a guy who, who kind of sometimes that always, remember, I remember that as Herter, former two guard for the Hawks, but Herter is a damn good shooter. And so that he made that his thing and, you know, has made a good career out of it. Yeah, so I just wanted to get to Griffin uh, briefly here. You mentioned his struggles. Uh, He was uh, 0.63 points per possession uh, on 27 possessions overall, including turnovers. And he did make his spot-ups, but other than that, really uh, just wasn't able to be particularly effective finding ways to create offense. I I thought the biggest thing that stuck out to me, stuck out to me, wow, uh was let me make sure i have this correct because i have it in my notes it seems like a rather remarkable set yeah he, he took only one of his 22 field goals at the rim mm. and six floaters which he, he gets now he wasn't making those he didn't wasn't really making the jumper other than uh on a, a, a few catch and shoots you know he still is he's never had like the most versatile jumper he kind of loads up he kind of needs to be like leaning forward as he shoots it it is accurate when he does that so i i guess all you could say is like i I don't think that he's like not going to be a player as a result of this but also you're hoping to maybe see in this environment a hint of something that maybe wasn't able to emerge at the nba level last year when his role was limited and we did not see that unfortunately in the two games he played that's a good way to phrase it and and it there are other players in their second year some of whom we've discussed, some of whom we will, who did show a little bit more spark, showed a little bit more something different. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but I thought that Griffin, I, I liked his, fresh, or his freshman year, his rookie year. I mean, in some ways it's both. But we can move on to Muhammad Gay. You brought him up before. Seven foot big, seven three wingspan out of Wazoo. Uh, this will be his age 21 season. And wait, he's, is he actually, he's seven foot? Yeah. Is that that's, right? According to um, the, let me pull up the combine measurements, which I actually keep as a tab whenever we do this. Um, uh, looks like they got rid of the in shoes. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's six ten and a quarter. Six ten and a quarter without shoes. So I would say that goes up to six eleven and three quarters, which I rounded up to seven. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And also, I mean, nine two and a half standing reach, seven over a seven three wingspan, uh, pretty. Thin uh, at yes. 213 pounds at the combine, but yeah, listed as a center. I mean, those are kind of center measurements, other than the weight. Uh, but he really didn't play as no. a center, and that's. A, I, and I thought that was that was kind of interesting. I and now you know going back and kind of looking at his college performance, I was like, ah, you know, maybe this three ball because he was looking pretty comfortable taking it. I think it was six out of sixteen uh, in total, uh, and you know, really defending on the perimeter, closing out like he really was playing more as like a pure four. Yeah, uh, in this system, and that was intriguing to me. Although it seems as if that wasn't necessarily what he was doing at the lower level. It, it doesn't seem like what Gay was doing at the lower levels, but twenty, sorry, sixteen percent usage, and more than one, or roughly one third of his shots were from three, which is an unusual fit for somebody that is playing some center. Um, and I thought that his three, like yeah, there was a little lean on it, but I was like, oh, it's far from terrible. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how he shot at Washington State. 28% yeah. both seasons on roughly one per game and 
61% college career foul shoot or something. Oh, well, if, if it's there, then he found it so recently, which does happen. It's not, you know, it's not unprecedented in any way. And the other thing that tied in for me with that, the, the shoot first thing, is that I thought Mom Gay had a very finesse-centric offensive game overall. He wasn't really beasting anyone. And you think, oh, my God, seven, roughly seven feet with a 7-3 wingspan, like, who's, you know, reasonably, like, I don't think he's, like, wildly athletic, but, like, reasonably, like, oh, he could put some guys in the basket, you know, summer league teams don't really have the best defensive discipline, it's like, no, it was more like, he's moving around guys, he's trying to get those finesse finishes, set a screen so egregiously bad that they called it, and so, like, it was funny to me, because I didn't see the power game, and so I'm like, well, if you don't have the power game, it makes more sense to play the four, in some ways. Yeah, and he did have seven blocks, again, guarding a reasonable amount on the perimeter, not not a guy that I think is going to be elite as a switch guy, but it looked like he could move his feet. Like he didn't look like it would be insane for him to play power forward at the NBA level. So this was, I think, a really nice first step for him uh, as far as uh, establishing a career. And uh, he did play two seasons at Washington State, uh, actually declared last year, but then went back to school from uh, Senegal originally. And he doesn't turn 21 until November. So mm-hmm. he's a, a, a good age in theory. So this, I mean, I'm sure he'll spend a, a lot of time at the G League level this season. And, and, and but worth, he was the, worth noting, I, yeah. two guaranteed seasons for him on the new the new yeah. second year con, or, uh, second round draft pick contracts. Yeah, and so it was just, he was, uh, seeing him in person is always like, oh, this guy's big. Like, he kind of plays hard. Like, he's got some size. Like, yeah, I didn't, had no idea that he was more of like a college center. Like, he looked like he was, uh, you know, looked comfortable at the power forward position. So I, I think there are some interesting physical tools here. And uh, particularly if he can continue to refine the jump shot. So I'll be keeping an eye on I mean, that's uh, for a guy taken in the second round to just have some flashes where you're like, oh, this is inc- intriguing. Like this is like NBA rotation level of stuff. Like I saw some of that from him and uh, we'll see if he can build on that. Any other Hawks you want to discuss? Seth Lundy uh, out of Penn State's on a two-way uh, took basically all of his shots from three. I think 34 of his 43 attempts were three-pointers and it didn't hit him at a fantastic rate. I mean, that's just what he's going to do. He's not really particularly athletic. There was one play he got out on the fast break and it was just, you know, very pedestrian dunk. Uh, he's older too, 23 uh, already, I believe. And and so, but he was taking deep threes. He's trying to uh, work on movement shooting. He also is pretty strong uh, as an older player. So uh, maybe he can at least be more credible defensively than like your average shooting specialist, but not a ton to say on him just because it's like, hey, he's a movement shooter. Is it going to go in it or not? You know, looks to be pretty much a one trick pony offensively uh, from everything that we could see, at least uh, in this summer league performance. Buffkin was the 15th pick. We'll keep moving through the first round, but 16, we already covered. Keontae George, who was impressive in summer league. We talked about him when we did the Jazz at the ninth pick, which was the highest one they have. So that moves us down to number 17, Jalen hood Shafino, a player who you and I watched a little bit of film on, but we didn't do a full scout. Um, hood Shafino. 6'6 guard with a 6'10 wingspan from Indiana. This will be his age 20 season. And I, we didn't, again, a player that I watched a little bit of film on, but we didn't do a, a, a scout on. And what bothered me about Hood Shafino's film in college, and it largely carried over to Summer League, is just, I, I thought that what he was best, like what he did best was creating contested twos. And unless you're going to absolutely drill those shots, 
I think you need a. I think you need something better as your like a a skill. Yeah, and you you watch him over the course of the game, and like there, it doesn't you know it doesn't seem broken. No, you know, he's got good size, pretty strong. I think he's going to be able to uh, have good strength for this position. And defensively, it was hit or miss, but he certainly has good enough tools there to hold up totally fine at, at the point guard position and make some good passes now and then. And he's not an elite athlete, but he's he's not you know getting to spots wherever he wants to go on the floor. But you know he can dribble well enough. He can pass okay. Uh, but then you look down and, and just the efficiency numbers. I, mean, I think it was Keandre who noted that he's one of the few drafted guards to have like a negative box plus minus, uh, and at least for among guards drafted at, at this level. And the overall numbers uh, weren't particularly pretty here uh, for Hoodshafino this summer league either. No, they weren't. And so Hoodshafino, in part because he was well below fifty percent on twos, he was forty nine percent true shooting on twenty six usage as a collegian, his one year at Indiana, or his the one year he like played. And then in summer league, thirty nine percent true shooting on twenty seven usage and twenty two percent on twenty three three pointers and thirty four percent from the field is not fantastic. Yeah, so I, I again like you and I think like a lot of people is struggling to say what is his skill was going to be. Now, I think some people were feeling somewhat similarly about Max Christie, who we'll talk about in a second. And the Lakers do have a pretty good record in terms of drafting, though they haven't had many picks in recent vintage as high as 17, even due to some of the trades that they've made. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you were just a little bit better of an athlete or a little bit better of a shooter or a little bit better of a passer, and maybe <laughs> they feel that uh, two of those three things uh, can be improved and, and maybe then he can get there. And, and, you know, particularly as a shooter, like there's, again, nothing really wrong with his form, even though he's not, you know, so maybe he can be kind of another one of these hybrid type guards that they have. But uh, at this point in time, he really has a, a long way to go. And there, there was not much that stood out for the good uh, him at this point in time. One other play, I don't have too many caps things in my summer league write-ups because I generally give guys a lot of leeway, but Huchifino was guarding Brandon Miller and walked away, wandered off from him, and Miller hits an open three. And it's just like, you're guarding the guy who's the best shooter on the other team, the best player on the other team. Like, you, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Like, your job is to stay with your guy. And it's not like he's Shafino's that Shafino's that good a defensive playmaker that like oh he he sharked it out and like got a deflection no he just left a good shooter who's tall wide open and gave up a new open three it drove me crazy uh, before we get to Christie uh, let's talk a little bit about Maxwell Lewis 40th overall pick Lakers gave up about four million bucks that was admittedly burning a hole in their pocket because uh, they hadn't used it last league year and that you'd have a year to use it. Uh, and uh, he was a local kid out of Pepperdine, so they obviously had a, a chance to be familiar with this game. And I would say just watching uh, Maxwell Lewis in per- person at 6'7", like, he actually has better size than I thought. I mean, he is thin, but I think he looks like he has maybe a stronger lower body than you would expect for a, a guy who kind of seems like a thin guy and had a little bit more athleticism attacking the basket than expected as well. One of the things I noticed on film was he kind of has a low release on his jump shot. And you know, I, th- I thought he had moments where he played hard to showed off some of that athleticism. But all of that said, like he didn't look out of place, I think, athletically by any means uh, for uh, being an NBA, you know, I guess, you know, between shooting guard and small forward. But the overall numbers were rather grisly. They were. Um, And to add a little bit more color, uh, Lewis 
seven foot wingspan um, contract is fully guaranteed for two years, then partial guarantee t- team option. That's a, a pretty standard format we're seeing for these like high seconds. Now, what I found interesting because you and I saw, I think you might have seen multiple games in person, but I saw one in person was Lewis is he's a he looks good when you're watching casually because like you'll see a play you'll see a play where it pops and you're like oh that was Maxwell Lewis but then it's like the way I described it was he has a lot of inertia on offense it takes him a while to get to anything so if you're paying half attention like he'll make more of those plays than the average guy but it's going to be important for Lewis to hit threes which he absolutely did not do in summer league he only took 14 in seven games which that's you'd want that to be higher though Lewis yeah. was only playing 20 minutes per game, and it's not like he was drilling his twos 33% overall from the field on just 16 usage. Yeah, and while he does have some pretty decent ball skills and he can attack and transition, he was somehow only 2 out of 10 in transition, which brought Oof. down his efficiency. And it wasn't known at the college level as the best defender. You know, he is a little bit upright. Uh, I think there are maybe some tools there that could be evolved uh, but it certainly isn't there at this point so yeah i mean i think just that volume of three-point attempts was a little bit disappointing to me but there's something here uh, for sure but he obviously didn't look great at this point in time but i i'm not you know, i i think there was enough pop there that i was like okay i, I understand the idea but i uh, you know i'm not there's some second rounders where you see him and you're just like okay it's just not gonna work uh and I, I don't feel that way about him but he also you can't really argue that he played well the player development for this coaching staff will be very important, and, and Lewis's work ethic there. But yeah, I agree with you. The, the I like the building blocks for him better than I do for a, for a fair amount of players, just what you build from it. And their second-round pick last year, Max Christie, 35th, uh, 6'5", weighing out of Michigan State. This will be his age 20 season, so he's younger than Lewis, and he's the same uh, like age year as Huchifino's a year behind him in you know draft class. And for me, the most striking thing with Max Christie was he looks so much more confident and comfortable on ball than I remember him being last year. And I, I still think that he's a complimentary offensive player. Like, I didn't watch Max Christie and just be like, oh, he's an on-ball star now. But those skills translate really well to a complimentary player, too, because if you can, you know, whether it's two dribbles in a good decision or being more being a more comfortable jump shooter, which Christie absolutely was, that works really well, too. Yeah, it was really a nice place to show off uh, his evolution because you'll recall last year he still he showed some decent athleticism and again i think he came out after his freshman year was picked in the second round so very raw but you could see he had a good frame good athleticism you know i think he's kind of listed as a shooting guard but especially because he looks bigger he might have even grown a little bit honestly Mm -hmm. uh, since i saw him last year and i was able to sit pretty up close in sacramento in particular and you could see that uh that you know he looks like he might be a guy who's small forward and might actually be able to guard this well and for a lakers team that really for all the acquisitions they've made doesn't have like an actual small board like unless you want to count Torian Prince uh, which I don't really Uh, but so the thought was he's athletic could defend and you could see that even in last year's summer league this year though really broke out offensively 11 of 20 from three in in five games and of course you know unlikely to shoot 55 percent from three at the nba level and he was under 50 percent from two as well but i thought in terms of he was trying to explore the studio space take some mid-rangers i thought the best part of his offensive game was uh, he was able to run some pick and roll he was able to come off some handoffs get downhill with that powerful body and then 
the probably the most unexpected part for me other than the jump shooting was that his floater game off of one foot euro step game looked pretty good he had a number of nice finishes around the dotted line area as he was attacking and you know that's just for this lakers team i don't know how valuable that particular skill is but they've had the, the ability to develop guys in the past but i mean i think he could get there as soon as this year as being like a solid defender given his physical tools and he plays pretty hard there too so the jump shot evolving to the point where it looks like it might be possible he actually shot 40 percent last year on very limited attempts uh, it was only a total of 62 attempts in 500 or so minutes so it wasn't a, a great volume but uh, this was a lot better taking a third of his shots uh, from three so uh, he, he was efficient just uh, overall looked good and you know Jovan wrote this and I think it, there's a decent possibility that he could emerge into the rotation because there is kind of that spot there there's there's competition but nobody has quite the skill set that he may be able to develop so very encouraging uh, for him uh, in this summer league and just briefly contractually Christie similar format for the Lakers he's the second year fully guaranteed this year and then he is in arenas limited restricted for agent now i don't think he's going to have an austin reeves year but this is yeah, the we didn't think austin reeves would have an austin reeves year either so exactly and and so what that means for the lakers i mean they'd love for christie to play well enough that he gets that kind of the kind of offer sheet that we thought austin reeves was going to get and actually didn't because he just signed with the lakers outright but yeah i'm very po- very positive for, for me on him he had a really yeah. nice drive now now just to go back to it they signed lonnie walker for the full mid-level so they actually assuming that they needed the full mid-level to sign lonnie walker they did not have a mechanism to sign christie to a three-year contract mm-hmm. a year ago now of course with the new second round pick exception uh, that will no longer be the yeah. case which which so they which they used yeah. with maxwell lewis right right yeah lakers one of the um, biggest beneficiaries of that because of how they used the, the they were using the mid-level during that time ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's move from the Los Angeles Lakers to a player who spent his time in college in L.A., but is not as a professional. That's Jaime Jaquez. Jaquez was the 18th pick in the draft. Went to UCLA. Um, 6'7 forward with a 6'10 wingspan. This will be his age 22 season. Spent a while with the Bruins. And... Hawk has only played in two games. He was a Sacramento Summer League-only guy. 13 points, yeah, two rebounds. I think it was a shoulder injury. I believe that, so, uh, yes. led to uh, a truncated Summer League for Hawkes. Yes, uh, 13 points, two rebounds, and an assist and a half in just 20 minutes per game. But I think he got hurt in the second game, correct? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think that's right. I was, I was there for the first one. I, didn't, mm-hmm. I was not there for the second So, one. since you saw an outright majority of his Summer League live, I'll let you talk first. 
yeah, just the thing that sticks out for him is his ruggedness and aggressiveness. And you can see why the Heat were on him, why the Warriors were probably on him as well. And just would defend on the perimeter with physicality, with aggressiveness. I mean, it, I thought it was noteworthy that uh, within his first four summer league minutes, he had picked up three fouls and, and then that moderated afterwards. He did have the jump shot working uh ended up four of nine there uh played a total of 38 minutes uh, i think in his first game he had like 21 points or, or something like that uh the, the game that i was at and was able to get out and transition for some dunks and he's uh, his style of play i think makes him a crowd favorite uh, just for kind of how aggressive he is like he's just going to go in to the basket and he's going to knock some heads didn't really get any rebounds but you know the small enough sample that they could have just not really bought uh bounced his way uh but he's was often moving off the ball even you know took a few jump shots on the move which was supposed to be kind of a weakness for him i think if he can refine that jump shot enough so that it's a somewhat of a weapon he's gonna do all of the little things that don't show up in the stat sheet at least uh the stat sheet as it existed 25 years ago and so i I think just the overall aggressiveness and toughness that he plays with some feel for cutting and and defending uh and if he doesn't make shots then you know it is going to be a little tough to play him i think they made a bet that he's going to and early returns on that very early returns uh, were solid it was weird for me as somebody who I, I haven't obsessively watched UCLA for years, but I didn't think of Hawkes as a great pull-up two guy, but he explored the space a little bit in that Sacramento game. And uh, as you said, the cutting game was, continues to be good for Hawkes. And I cracked up. There was a play where he finished an alley-oop off a give-and-go, and I was like, oh, look at him. He got up, he got up for it. Like I don't think of Hawkes as a great vertical guy, but of course he's 6'7". Obviously, he can dunk. It's not like it's not like he can't. Um, And we can get to the... Heat's second round, or their first round pick from a year ago, uh, Jovic, Nikola Jovic, and six foot 11 power forward from Serbia. This is going to be his age 20 season. Jovic played four games in Summer League. He got more time out there, uh, averaged 15 points, uh, four and a half rebounds, two assists. And the thing that actually stuck out to me with Jovic was he changes ends pretty well, better than I expected. And there was one moment that cracked me up where I, I referred to it as a wild grab and go where he was just like, he just changed ends pretty fast, but it's like, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell he's doing, but it's been pretty fun. Yeah. And physically he just looked so much better. And that's not a surprise for someone uh, being drafted by the heat, but you know, he really looked underdeveloped physically a year ago. And now he's, he's more powerful. He just looks more comfortable. He's able to do more of what he wants on the floor. The main thing that he likes to do, you mentioned those grab and go attacks and he was certainly empowered to do that at the summer league level his main move that he likes to do he's not a great leaper but he likes to kind of do that lower the shoulder euro step especially if any kind of a smaller defender is back in transition to just kind of pick the ball up knock the guy backwards uh, and then just shoot over the top of him on a kind of a finger roll um Jump shot was okay. Five out of 15 uh, looked better in the two games in Sacramento, but then he didn't hit one at all in Las Vegas. You know, he looked good in in that first Sacramento game where uh, the whole Heat team, they're always pretty tough when they actually try to play their guys. Yeah, and then defensively, all right, one shot block in 100 minutes. <laughs> not, not amazing there. That's going to be kind of the big question 
for him on, on the defensive end because he really is he a four is he a five and they've got kind of had some success working with these 4.5s in the starting lineup next to Bam, but maybe not closing. So maybe you could see him a little bit in that sort of a role. They seem to value that kind of player. Uh, He's going to need to evolve into being a really good shooter, though I think to really have a career uh, and Recall, he only played 15 games for Miami last year in 204 minutes. Uh, he had an ankle issue. Uh, maybe, I mean, I'm confusing with the year of it. It might have been like some sort of a shin, like stress reaction. But it, he missed a lot of times. It seemed like kind of one of these intractable injuries that the Heat just never report on. And, you know, so wasn't able to really spend any time at the big league level. And in the G League a year ago, was only able to play 167 minutes as well. But it's good to see that he was able to work on his body. Didn't look overwhelmed athletically. And he does have a skill level off the dribble, passing a little bit. And as a shooter to where if he can hold up okay defensively, become an above average shooter at that four slash five position. Like this is the first time I saw him like, okay, like I see something here, which uh, had not really been the case before. I still wonder, you know, as you mentioned, the Heat have done a better job manufacturing these kind of like not quite five guys. And and sometimes that's playing with Bam, but sometimes it's not. And I was thinking just about how, like how high that bar is where like Kevin Love, of course, he's at a different phase in his career than Jovic. Like Love, both a more accomplished prospect, but also, you know, had all this time, but he's, you know, now in his, now in his mid thirties. And like, I think that you need to be able to do kind of more. I, I would like to see Jovic, despite the improvement, do more things well to really take on that role. But Miami will give him an opportunity and we'll see how it can work. Uh, the other the other member of the Heat who actually had a great summer league, I, I didn't delve into the film on him, but I want to mention the stats is Orlando Robinson. Robinson has a partial guarantee for 23-24 and I mean, I think it's yeah, looking... And that is newly signed this year, by the way. He it is. a And someone that we actually had as a rotation guy, despite coming off a two-way in our free agent rankings. Correct. And, and then uh, and yeah. he, he, you know, Robinson, this will be his big man from Fresno State. This will be his age 23 season. 20.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, three assists, a little bit under two steals in 29 minutes per game, six games, including eight of 21 on threes. Yeah, uh, that 38% looked pretty good. He, he was pretty aggressive in that respect. And so, yeah, in the offense, it uh, looked pretty solid. Now, Robinson, I, he doesn't have that much explosion uh, on either end as a leaper, but he, he was able to obviously be extremely effective on his way to 63% true shooting, 27 usage you know, for a big guy, especially in summer league. That's pretty darn good. He, he certainly rebounded well enough uh, at this level. But defensively, I do kind of wonder about whether he's going to be able to protect the rim well enough like i'd say his feet are okay but yeah maybe a little bit below average as a leaper certainly a guy who strode enough here that he should have an nba contract i think can be a backup center you know if you want to kind of i think like a decent comparison for him uh would be thomas bryant mm. as a guy who who finishes not an elite athlete but finishes around the rim you know i don't know that he quote-unquote plays as hard as Thomas Bryant although Thomas Bryant his his playing hard is a little bit more I don't know maybe performative with the way he like sprints the floor he's always trying to duck in as uh on his iconic duck in one of the greatest duck-ins of all time on uh, the shot LeBron uh, made the all-time scoring record on uh it's still he was open uh maybe that's why he requested a trade because he didn't get him the ball there but well and and but but the funny parallel the funny parallel wait on that line 
those two guys are going to be competing for minutes on this year's heat. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. And, you know, but like have some shooting ability, good finisher on the rim, even though they're not an elite athlete. I would say, though, Robinson, although I wasn't like blown away by his defense, I think it, you know, it's going to be better than Thomas Bryant. That's uh, not exactly high praise there uh, to say that. But yeah, th- that will be pretty interesting. Uh, Bryant, of course, signed up uh, on a one plus one at the minimum. So yeah, certainly as successful a summer league as you could have hoped from Orlando Robinson, though. But yeah, you want to see a little bit more than four blocks in six games. We did make up for it with uh, 10 steals. Also had 17 assists, which is interesting, running through some of that hand up soft at the, stuff at the elbow and uh, also has good enough ball skills that he could actually uh, make a play going to the basket out of those situations or uh, against closeouts as well. And I uh, got to the foul line a, a ton. Yeah, we're not going to get to Jamal Cain because he, I think, as of now, is coming up to two-way. I think he still is unsigned at the moment. They probably wanted to take another two-way. He's probably not too interested in that. Uh, we're done with Miami now, right? We are. And so that takes us to the Golden State Warriors. They had the 19th pick in the draft, and instead of taking Cam Whitmore, who went 20, they took Brandon Podziemski, a 6'5 guard with a 6'6 wingspan out of Santa Clara, played a couple years with the Broncos, so this will be his age 20 season. And part of the reason why Podzemski was liked by some of the models is that he really does fill up the stat sheet. 11 points, 5.3 assists, 6.3 rebounds, and over a steal per game in 30 minutes per game, seven summer league contests. Unfortunately for the Warriors, the jump shot... (laughs) was not particularly strong. He took 32 three-pointers in those seven summer league games and made just eight of them. That's 25% from three. Yeah, it's funny. We've seen a lot of these guys like Pajemski. I think it's like you kind of say it more with a kind of J sound. You're probably right. Together, But uh, we'll work on that. But he, I don't think he's going to be a movement shooter because of his form. I think that's, you know, in talking to people around the Warriors, like that's something that he realizes that he's going to have to get better at in their system. But he kind of, he just doesn't really shoot like a jump shot. Like I think it's tough for him to shoot a jump shot going to his left, particularly from three. Now he shot, I think, 44% at Santa Clara, made the open one. So I do have faith in him to do that. Uh, now, aside from the shooting, you know, and he's he's small, right? He is not a huge wingspan and probably in the 6'3 range. Uh, so really kind of more combo guard size than uh, a pure shooting guard size. And there are concerns about his individual defense. However, you could see why they liked him. And I think there is somewhat of a misconception of like, well, we've got to get guys who are ready to play right now. That was the Jacob Evans thinking that led them so astray. I don't think it was so much that as it was just, we need guys who overall just play with intelligence and so can actually develop into uh, fitting in our system. And I still think maybe that's a little bit misguided because they, I mean, not that I think Pajemsi is a bad pick as as I get to actually really enjoyed uh, his game, but just because I think the chance of anyone really contributing in this Steph Curry era when he's actually good, you know, I mean, that era is, you think max two more years before, uh, and even that might be asking a lot. Maybe this year even is the one where he's no longer capable of being the best player on, on a championship contender. But for for Pajemski, nonetheless, the passing was really good. He had a tennis this game. What I, the way I characterized his offensive game was he always leaves the possession in a better place than where he found it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, he'll catch the ball. He'll probe. And yeah, I mean, he was taking this, this like super high floater. That wasn't amazing. But he'll just, he'll break the paint. He'll make the next pass. He makes an instant decision of, you know, plays that 0.5 basketball. Uh, and he's 
just able to break the paint and find someone and it's just always moving whether it's off the ball whether it's on the ball whether it's making a cut which he was really good at in college as well so he ended up uh, he played seven games in the end and averaged over five assists even though he wasn't necessarily the primary point guard either you know it was kind of weird that he didn't make his free throws you know again i think just maybe the speed of the game in terms of his shooting was a little bit too much not having a great understanding of how to get a shot off he had averaged four turnovers a game so it'll fit right in on the warriors there but he also had over a steal a game yeah i think like defensively he clearly had an understanding of what they're trying to do like i think he'll execute he can show up in in interesting places uh, to foil some of the offensive actions even if i don't see how he's going to avoid being a one-on-one liability defense uh yeah good the one of the things that's just hard to square up with podjemski is where the jump shot is because he only, you know, so he transferred to Santa Clara from Illinois and barely played with the Fine Galina. He yeah. big tr- lifestyle upgrade there, by the way, <laughs> moving from Champagne to, to, to the Bay Area. Uh, and and I, so, I say that as a Midwesterner, Champagne is so, uh, not, so, not my favorite place. His freshman year at Illinois played 69 total minutes. So there's basically nothing to build from that. But Pajemski was a four-star recruit. And and then he goes to Santa Clara, has this one huge year where he takes he shoots 44% on her 185 threes, makes 77% of his free throws. So overall, um, 60% true shooting on 26 usage. And so you're like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's a big enough sample, but it is a one-year sample. So that's going to be a question that we just have to work through. And, and a way that I describe Pajemski, which is kind of similar, is that on offense and defense, he's around the action a lot. Um, he's a good rebounder for a two yeah, guard, yeah. which is good and and Re- really good rebounder. I mean, yes. He's uh, averaging six six a game. He gets gets in there. Uh, you know, there are a few that he wasn't able to get because he just doesn't have the size. But you know, he reminded of a guy, a guy that is recently departed of Dante Divincenzo in terms of being willing to stick his nose in there. I mean, for a mm-hmm. guard to average two offensive rebounds a, a game almost is, is pretty impressive. The one part of Pajemski's game, just the summer league film, because I didn't, I haven't watched any of the San Car film on him, is that. I didn't see a ton of real value added passes. I agree with you. The ball didn't stick. He made good decisions, but like, oh, that was a really good read. There were a few. There was one um, where he was a driver and passed to a cutting power forward for a dunk. That was that was quite good. It's like, oh, that's that's a good understanding. But the like the great reads, like the the guy who I was thinking of to an extent, they're very different in terms of strength and weaknesses. It's like you know, like there are some Lonzo ball elements there of the ball not sticking. But it's like Lonzo had a way. He was a way better passer. He's also a way worse shooter. Lonzo, not Pajemski. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to enjoy watching him play this year. I don't know how much take he's actually going to get, but I think he will fit in at times. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, their 57th pick that they traded for, uh, sending out Patrick Baldwin and some savings, and I think there might have been a future second there. There was, Surely I believe, some cash as well. Yeah, uh, and you know, Jackson Davis, I, I didn't get a chance to see him in person because uh, the hamstring injury didn't play until the last two games. But he did have twelve offensive rebounds in forty-five minutes played, mm-hmm. and I thought you, you saw some interesting stuff uh, from him was able to generate shots uh, when he's not going to take shots from the outside. It looks like he has some ability. I actually think, I mean, it's probably not going to happen, but I think there could be a role for him to play. Like he's a uh, son of Dale Davis and just has a lot of athleticism. He's 23, very left-handed, but has huge hands. He started later in his career having work as a passer through the elbows. So that's something that the Warriors could use, but he just, uh, he's got these big hands. And he'll just come up for just some huge lefty dunks uh, around the basket. It's 
see if I can. I have a couple things. Grab it. Yeah, go ahead. So Jackson Davis, um, first of all, ridiculously effective. Sixty-eight percent true shooting on twenty-two usage was his thirty-point-seven per was fifth among qualified players. That's how real GM does it. But he only played in two games, so we're small sample size here. The way I described, I, I had at one point in my notes, um, Jackson Davis. Oh, six foot ten with a seven-one wingspan. This will be his age twenty-three season. Is that? He has a really good understanding of when to screen and when to roll. And I described him as a more intellectual offensive player than most young bigs, though he's also older than most young bigs because he's already 23. Um, but that is extremely valuable. The idea of kind of knowing what you're supposed to do. And he, Jackson Davis on both ends of the floor had a lot of right place, right time situations, including as a finisher, where like he flashes the basket, he becomes open at exactly the right point, either for an offensive rebound or for a pass and got that in there. That's part of how he was so efficient is that it was fitting really well within the flow of the offense. Yeah, and to that end, he took 21 field goal attempts. All of them were at the rim. Nine of them were dunks. And when I was saying that, I think there maybe could be a role here. They don't have anyone else with that skill set. Also, some decent mobility defensively. That, that'll be something interesting to see as well. But like playing some pick and roll, Chris Paul on the second unit, he is older. Again, you don't want to assume that a rookie is going to give you something. But maybe Chris Paul can kind of get something out of him to where all right, he's going to play six minutes a, uh, a half in certain matchups. Or, or if uh, guys are, are hurt or whatever, see if uh, he and Chris Paul can develop some chemistry. And that could just be kind of a theory of uh, their second group. It's also funny because Jackson Davis, like you see some of the template there could be like the surprisingly successful Chris Paul at power forward Dario Sharge at center minutes for the Suns a couple of years ago. Well, the, the yeah. Warriors also have Dario Sharge who can play second unit center depending on how they want to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see those two gentlemen, Sharge and Jackson Davis, play together at times. The other question, so two other things. You brought up the mobility. One of my favorite plays from Jackson Davis was he had a really nice recovery block where he got out to the driver and then went back to the roller and was able to block the shot. That's not something that a lot of big men can do and and like to make the read to time it right and everything else. And then the question that I dealt with with Jackson Davis, and in part this might be dictated by the jump shot and rim protection is, do you kind of bulk him up more to make him a full-time center or do you keep him more fluid as a like athletically as a four or five? Maybe you can add some weight without losing that fluidity, but I, I like him better as an agile player, but it's just typically it's so hard to needle to thread physically just okay you know he's not going to be good in these matchups but he can make it work yeah i think he's just going to be a center i mean because he also has no shooting range he tried to right. improve that a little bit in college that just it's not going to happen there's no reason for him to ever take a three or certainly not a mid-ranger mm. uh, on this team so yeah i mean he's going to play center so i but i think yeah his speed and mobility is probably a, a bigger asset you wouldn't want to necessarily and, and he's also just so explosive uh, off the ground like if he can load up and especially with his big hands like he'll he can just crush some big lefty dunks like in guys faces uh, in pretty spectacular fashion uh, and then we could just briefly talk about lester quinones who was on a two-way last year and I believe is still a free agent. Surely they want no, to. No, he signed. Him back he signed two another two way. Oh, he did. Okay, good. Yes. Well, that's. Uh, but just so we don't have to talk about him too much because he's not uh, on roster. But he averaged twenty two points in seven games, and uh, you you can go back to listen to one of our episodes a bit ago in which I interviewed him. Really hard hitting stuff about what it was like to get the first ever uh, flopping technical uh, in the NBA. But yeah, he shot it uh, extremely well on nine three pointers. Uh, per game and uh, average 22 per game for the Warriors Summer League outfit. 
The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, we got a little bit of extra time here. Should we just talk about that uh, Desunmu contract? I thought that was an interesting one. Yeah, we can do that. We're still waiting on the what the third year is, correct? How, has there been some reporting that I missed? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's been reported as three for 21. Uh, my guess would be that there's going to be some kind of keen consideration on the end, given what his pedigree is. But this was a fascinating negotiation. It went into you know later than most of these restricted free agent situations did. It could be perhaps that Paul Reed getting an, an offer sheet for 7 million might have been an, an okay data point for the parties. But the other thing too is uh the uh Bulls uh th- this new hard cap that the NBA has uh right at the tax that uh, only affects uh, uh teams the, that are right on uh Lake Michigan and aren't the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and and know. that are and that are just in such small markets that they can't they can't bear to pay the luxury tax for any reason. Right, right. Uh, so that was, you know, I think the Bulls now with this are going to be like 1.5 million below the tax. So I still think, I, I don't understand why they didn't just stretch Lonzo Ball, though maybe the reason for that is that there's still like actual cash that they are going to have to pay him. But nonetheless, Desunmu uh, offensively kind of fell off, but he really he played a ton enough to make the starter criteria. And that was a really important leverage point for him in negotiations because he could always just take that $5.2 million qualifier. If his qualifying offer was the usual shitty, uh, you know, like what Austin Reeves was actually, which was uh, $2.2 million, So like 125000 basically above the minimum. Well, then he wouldn't have had this leverage, but he could say, hey, like the only way I'm going to take more than a one-year deal is if you pay me more than the qualifying offer. Now, as a second-year guy, he would have been restricted again after this year. So that's where the Bulls are like, hey, we're not going to do a two-year deal with you because then you just become unrestricted after that. That doesn't do us any good. We want to get some extra team control if we're going to do a longer deal now. So I think that's kind of how they got to the 7 million was having that 5.2 million and Asuma rightfully saying, hey, like if you're not going to give me more than that over a multi-year deal, like I'll just take this and see if I can get back out there again next year when I'm not going to be arenas limited. Not that that necessarily would have come into play, but uh, I think he feels like he could have a, a little bit better of a year. And so you know, could the Bulls have possibly negotiated harder? Maybe. And I think we'll see based on what the team control is at the end and whether they're a non-guarantee or team option, uh, what they ended up getting eventually. And you kind of alluded to this, but Desunmu, he played a lot both years, over 2,000 minutes each of his first two years in the NBA, yeah. and made 38% of his threes on basically the same frequency, but 3.2 per 36 in his, in his first year and 31% in his second. Now, where the truth lies between those two numbers is going to be so essential. 
And I, I've still liked the Sumu's game. I think he can heat up the ball a little bit defensively, which can be useful. And then, you know, more of an off-ball guy to me than an on-ball guy as a, you know, offensive player. But the good news for the Bulls is they have other players who can do that. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan are, are awfully good there. And it does lead to this weird question because the Bulls use their, their primary addition was Javon Carter, a player who I like quite a bit. But, like, you have... Carter, Caruso, and Ayodosumu now all on this team, all making between six and nine point five million dollars, who all both have very similar overall strengths and weaknesses. It's a lot to commit, and I'm not even ignoring that Lonzo Ball theoretically is largely the same player if he's available. Anything else on, on him? Well, I, I, I'm interested, like you, in what the third year is going to look like for Desumu. And I brought up these three guys with overlapping skill sets. My assumption is that not all three of them are going to make it through these next two seasons as Bulls, that one of them at least will get moved to somebody else. But can does that happen through that player augmenting their value? Because presumably the Bulls would be wanting to keep the players who play well enough to do that. So I wonder how Arturis and this front office intend to play this game because lower usage guards who are defense first are, you know, they're, they can be valuable, but they kind of have to pick your spots with it. And like the, the thought I had when they signed both Carter and this is like, oh, well, then they could have traded Caruso if, if the asking price, if somebody actually like gave them a reasonable offer. So a few other news items to clean up since we last spoke. The Spurs uh, got Lamar Stevens in that sign-and-trade that enabled the Cavs to get Max Struess. Remember that Jetty Osmond came over as well, and I think the, the Cavs gave up some other consideration. Uh, but they have now waived Stevens. He was going to be guaranteed. Doesn't really someone who fit, seem like someone who fits into their plans. He had a role at times, but we noticed how much he struggled, particularly with the corner three in Cleveland. He's not an elite athlete, but he is rugged, can defend and uh, work the interior along the baseline and up the intensity level, but kind of more of an energy guy. And we'll see if he's able to catch on somewhere. You know, I think he played well enough that it's he's kind of, it wouldn't shock me if he got a deal, but I don't know if there's like guaranteed money out there for him necessarily due to his shooting limitations and the Cavs just needed something so desperately uh, at the positions that he played. Uh, then Daryl Morey, I, it's, we're back here with Daryl Morey and local radio interviews discussing a player who wants to be traded. And Morey acknowledged that James Harden does not prefer to be in Philadelphia. But uh, this is a familiar refrain, as it was with Ben Simmons. He says, if we look to do a trade, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be for a player who continues to help us be right there like, like we were last year. Or it has to be for something we can turn into a very good player. Now, he hasn't specifically said like, you know, top, what was it, top 40 player that he said the seventh negotiations. But he said, if we don't get that player, then we're just not going to do it. And if James were to turn his mind around, we would all be thrilled. But at this moment, he does prefer to be traded. And we are attempting to honor that. It's going to be hard for the Sixers to simultaneously train James Harden for a package that makes them a similarly good team. That's just not the way these trades normally happen. And if well, they're- well, and particularly as we talked about, because they have these cap space aspirations in 24 to trade James Harden to get back a player who also is an expiring contract gives them that flexibility in 24 and that seems just utter pie in the sky and and what might even be more pie in the sky is somebody who's so good that you would prefer them to cap space that the team is actually going to trade for James Harden from the most dramatic team perhaps in the NBA to the least uh, Mark Dagnalt has signed a multi-year contract extension with OKC good time to be signing a a new deal when some of the big numbers 
that have been out there are publicized with Monty Williams and Greg Popovich of late. And uh, Mark Dignall, I, I thought, really has distinguished himself immensely uh, in his three years at the helm. Presumably, he was on the usual four minus one coaching contract. So that probably would have put him in the last year of his deal, which was a team option. So they probably opted him into that and give him a couple more years and hopefully a very healthy race. Because I would imagine, given his stature when he signed, that he was one of, if not the lowest paid coach in basketball. And I hope that that is no longer the case because he's good. I'm a fan of Mark Dignall as a coach, for sure. Omer Yurtsevin, the weird question about like him falling out of favor so thoroughly with the Heat in part with the injury, ended up signing with the Utah Jazz. Um, the Jazz had a little bit of cap space left to, with all their machinations, so it sounds like they gave Yurtsevin a portion of that, so a little bit more than his minimum. And in probably in part for getting a little bit more than his minimum. And as a note, it's it's half guaranteed, so $1.4 million until the cutdown date. And then twenty four twenty five is, I believe, at his minimum and not guaranteed until the league cutdown date. So Yurtsevin, he'll have an opportunity to compete for minutes on the Jazz. Um, but um, it, it's, it you know, considering he had this really productive stretch when Bam was hurt in 21-22, like, you know, could have been bigger at some point. Also, we didn't mention this uh, last time, partly because I found it a relative non-story. Joel Embiid's comments about how he really wants to win a championship, whether it's here or somewhere else uh, in Philly, and that's just, yeah, no shit. <laughs> so, like, yeah, if they're not a championship contender and he's 30 years old, he might want to be moved. Big fucking surprise, right? And, oh, he said it. Like, it was the first time he said it. And, like, like, everybody knows this. The Sixers organization knows that they know that they are under pressure to build a winner around him, not only just because they want to keep him, but because he's 30 years old this year and he's the MVP. And like, yeah, you're trying as hard as you can to win when you have what you think is a, a top five player, at least during the regular season. So I, I found this uh, a total non-story. And yeah, you know, he said he was trolling and Daryl Morey was like, yeah, he's just trolling. It's like, you know, they want to diffuse the story locally. And I guess there's no reason for him to say it. I can't remember what the context was. He was it took a few days for the for it to gain traction in the national conversation. I think he was talking to Maverick Carter in, in the uninterrupted forum. But uh yeah, I mean this to me Everyone knew this already. The fact that he said it, like, I don't know how calculated it was. If it was, well, I'm sure he was saying the same thing behind the scenes. And this is one of those things where he's probably not going to put more pressure on them than they're going to put on themselves. Unless there's a feeling of like, well, maybe they're going to kind of like punt on this year and have the cap space plan for next year. And maybe they feel more pressure. They have to be good this year. But we've been through this with Ben Simmons. They weren't going to punt a year of his prime then. They ended up getting James Harden, and which was the right move. So even if he is putting this pressure on him, uh, on the team, this idea of like, oh, well, we better trade James Harden just for like whatever the best package is now that still kind of sucks. Like, I, I just, I think at a minimum, the Sixers, if they don't have that package out there, are going to bring Harden back. Maybe the Clippers just aren't that interested in Harden. That's where he wants to be. If they're not, you know, you, if you're Dale Moore, you can just say, hey, you know what? Like, we tried to do you there. They don't want you enough to do this package like this is the best place for you to play basketball this year and get the money you want to now there's been more reporting that Harden and Maury like their relationship is now fraud and, and non-existent and all that and uh, after being such good buddies uh, over the years but ultimately these Joel comments I consider them at least for my analysis to be it doesn't change it at all I agree and speaking of former Nets guards that took less to facilitate better teammates 
The Dallas Mavericks, it seems like part of the sales pitch to Kyrie Irving was take a little bit less, though they did some stuff with unlikely bonuses, so that we can use the full mid-level. And they presumably intended to do so, and there are still players. But the Dante Exum contract is notable in this respect, because so the Mavs brought in Seth Curry, and they brought in Dante Exum. Those guys are making, a, and Exum is getting more than his minimum. It's not a minimum deal. It is getting $3 million for this year, and then has a non-guaranteed 32 for next season. Why that's significant is because the Mavericks do not have bird rights on Dante Exum. They have to use an exception and they there isn't enough, you know, using the tax pyramid level if they want to do it with Curry and Exum. So they're dipping into their non-tax pyramid level to give Dante Exum slightly more than his minimum, which means that they're probably not going to do this. And like if it, unlike the Sixers who really used the flexibility that James Harden gave them, though James Harden gave them more, and potentially that led to, but it, the house negotiations led to the tampering penalty. If I'm Kyrie Irving, obviously the offseason isn't done. I'm not thrilled by this. I'm not thrilled if if he actually took less that the team basically hasn't used that spending power, and in fact now are fully you know four million clear of the tax. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they could still, and they're going to be hard capped with the Grant Williams move anyway. Sure. And they can still take on more money in a trade. And, you know, there's a talk that they could be, they're engaged with Detroit, for example. You know, the Tim Hardaway plus 2026 first round pick package, I'm sure, is going to be shopped prodigiously around the league. And they could take back more salary potentially um to do that so so we'll see uh and we'll see how well exum plays uh, of course uh, as well uh and i think the mavs also probably paid up in terms of the player option or you know, a three-year deal instead of a two-year deal to get that first year salary down a few other small notes here uh i did a little checking around and it seems like there some people were surprised recall that the cap is only projected for 142 million next year when we've seen these 10 percent raises it did go up the maximum 10 percent this year of course the national tv deal will kick in for the 25 26 season and then surely will lead to 10 percent raises for quite some time however you know that's basically less than a five percent raise is projected for next year and i, I did find out that the reason for that is because of the uncertainty with the RSNs and how much teams are going to get paid uh, from uh, the bankruptcy of Diamond Sports, which operates those Bally Sports stations. So that's the reason for that. Uh, We don't know exactly where that's going. I'm sure the NBA is being very conservative in that estimate, but that is apparently the reason why it's lower than some might have thought. Quick piece of business, the Brooklyn Nets have waived Edmund Sumner, who pushed his guarantee date back in order to facilitate that. We've seen other guys like Jason Preston do that. We don't have a resolution with Preston and the Clippers just yet. Um, I think Sumner deserves an NBA contract. I'm a little bit surprised it's not with Brooklyn, but they do have some some things to work out. And then going back to the RSN thread, Phoenix is moving forward with their plan to put games over over the air, free broadcast television. They intend to show games on several over-the-air stations that are owned by Gray Television, and the Suns expect this to triple their reach compared to cable. Yeah, because uh, as we know, there are a lot of, of cord cutters, but and the other thing that they can do too now is they can launch a direct-to-consumer option themselves rather than having to go through having those rights owned by Diamond Sports. You'll recall that Diamond Sports 
had actually sued for the right contractually to match any offer and they the judge was sympathetic to that argument but then it turns out as per brian windhorse that diamond sports was not willing to match this offer from this gray television so that would in- indicate to me that at least they're getting something pretty decent now diamond sports of course was headed towards bankruptcy i don't know how much they could have actually afforded but presumably if it had made economic sense for them even though they are headed into bankruptcy they would have matched this uh so this is this will be fascinating you know maybe this deal with gray was structured so that they wouldn't want to match it or something like that uh, also we didn't mention that the sun signed bull bull after moving on from cameron Payne, and uh, i think he'll he provides an interesting element there i wish he could play some center maybe they'll try him out there he really hasn't played that at all his career we've noted how poor he's been as a rim protector even though he blocks a lot of shots so many of them occur on the perimeter but he did show some ability to switch as well he can shoot he can dribble uh, was pretty efficient this season so clearly i thought he showed enough to be an nba player i thought it was remarkable that a that he was waived and b that nobody matched or or, uh, or claimed him on waivers but i think this is a, a good signing again uh, by the phoenix suns although it looks like this is only going to be just a straight one-year deal which if he does hit probably means that he'll be gone next year because they want a bird rights on him and let's see a couple other small things here jairus walker uh is having a or he has undergone actually a procedure to remove loose bodies in his right elbow maybe that's why he shot the ball so poorly in summer league so uh but he's expected to be ready for camp jason preston did have a guarantee date of july 18th the party that had already been extended once the party has now extended that to october 1st i think again that he would be their 16th guy uh and i think that's just more of a he didn't necessarily have anywhere else to go and he's hope i think they like him and they're hoping that the roster crunch may end up easing by that point via trade or maybe even just deciding to wave somebody Wes matthews is going to be a atlanta hawk Yes, he is. And a a defensive wing is something that Atlanta could use. And Wes Matthews may have some familiarity with the organization because his father, Wes Matthews Sr., played for them. Yeah, and I thought Wes was still good enough that there should have been a a chance for him to return to Milwaukee. But uh, that apparently is not going to be the case. And, And they got Jake Crowder, they got Malik Beasley in. Uh, but they are going to be relatively thin because they've got, uh, they signed Andre Jackson and Chris Livingston, both to NBA contracts. That gets them to 14th. They didn't have the roster spot. They're surely not going to sign a 15th at this point in time. They've also got AJ Green on NBA contract coming off a two-way last year. So they're going to have a lot of just kind of unproven yeah, yeah, Nate, we, we, got we, Marshawn, yeah. we hadn't fully anticipated we hadn't fully anticipated the Bucks using this innovation to add even more roster players that might not be able to be in the rotation than they had previously. Yeah, I, I can't believe uh, Hugo Besson is not uh, on on the team yet. They still have the rights to, to him, but uh, much as I joke, the the Bucks have stepped up as much as any small market team reasonably could be asked to from a price standpoint. I haven't sure. always agreed with how they've allocated that money in the end. Uh, but yeah, I think they could have used Matthews. Like he was, he still is one of their better perimeter defenders. And uh, I think he'll be a good vet uh, for an Atlanta locker room that probably needs that. And that will be it for us uh, today. Thanks so much for being subscribers. And uh, we'll be back middle of this week. Talk to you all soon. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.